Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you, Pastor. I sure love you. Let me get a hand there. I'll get it right. All right. Good morning, everyone. It is a joy to be with you, to worship with you, and to, uh, um, to be excited about all these things that are happening. And, and yeah, I know you can kind of feel like your ears are being pinned back against the side of your head with so many things being thrown at you, but if you can't do one, do something else. If you can't do that, do something else. So many of these announcements are telling us opportunities for us to make a huge kingdom contribution. So I'm so glad that you that you showed all of these. And and Josh, good job on the 30, 30, 30. Dan, Dan was leaning over, asked me now on the 30 days of inviting, do I invite them every day for 30 days? <laughs> Maybe evangelism 101 would say like, mm, don't, don't do it every day. <laughs> Knock on the door until they finally say, okay. <laughs> Statistically speaking, Churches, congregations that are more than about 65 to 70 years old, statistically speaking, there's one direction you can expect the trajectory of that congregation. That's a, a down trajectory. Statistically speaking, God is not bound to statistics. However, God is bound to the faith and behaviors of His people. And the reason statistics indicate that churches 60, 70 years old trend down to a point of, of decay, death, and disappearance, the reason is that people stop behaving in ways that would go contrary to the statistical reality. So when church people, which by the way, if you ever, ever say, our church is not friendly, what you're saying is you individually are not friendly because like this is like this building is like not your church and 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 we're not some ethereal they we are we you are part of we we are part of our church and so when the people of god behave in ways that reflect the priorities of god and they do it with compassion and kindness for the glory of God, that church can flourish. How do you like the word flourish? Doesn't that sound better than like funeral? I think it does. Well, I greet you in the name of the Lord. I want to also greet you from my sweetheart, my wife. Uh, she's not been able to travel with me very much at all for the last four months, facing some uh, issues of her own, but we think, Lord willing, and by February she'll be back on track and back at our office and, and laboring on a regular uh, regular basis. And uh, but today I want to—I didn't do this in the first service, but I I have a driver today. I don't normally have a driver. I drive myself, but um, I've had some back issues, and uh, the doctor said it's probably a good idea for you to not hold onto the steering wheel. And so leaving early this morning. Uh, Dan was uh, Dan Chanowski. He's one of our pastors. Um, or recently was pastoring, planted a great church in uh, 
uh, the Mays, Kansas area, and he and his wife have handed that off to a successor. And Pastor Dan, I want you to stand up, please. I just want them to see. This is Pastor Dan Chanowski. I want you to love on him. Great, great man of God and uh, precious friend, Daniel, thank you for driving me. His day doesn't end here. From here, we will, after we have lunch with the peoples, uh, we'll be headed to Paola, Kansas. Five o'clock tonight, we have a, an East Kansas region, East region prayer summit. It's open to everybody. It's open to you. We start at five. We'll be praying, seeking God. I'm preaching about kingdom prayers, and uh, we will be modeling kingdom prayers tonight at the five o'clock prayer summit in Paola, Kansas. If you need directions, I know that your office here will be able to provide you. But uh, uh, God wants to do some big things. God wants to do something in, in 2017 that looks different than 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, and so forth. Yeah, you thought I'd just keep going to impress you. You didn't know in Arkansas you could count backwards, did you? I even count standing on one foot. <clears throat> Does it ever bother you when you stop and reflect that you prayed prayers at the beginning of years, that January prayers begin to almost seem cyclical, and that you're praying, oh God, this year more than ever, X, Y, and Z, and then we get to the next January, and we, if we don't reflect, and then just do what we've always done, we will probably be praying prayers that the, the complexion of those prayers will not look very different than the complexion of the prayers in previous years. My cry to God for Terry, Yancey, whether you will embrace this or not, but my prayer is that God would help me pray kingdom prayers more effectively than I ever have, and that, that my prayer life will reflect the character of God and the priorities of God more than they have ever reflected in the past. And so this morning, as Pastor Steve mentioned, I'm continuing on with a part, my portion today is a part of your series about the kingdom, and in a little bit we'll be reading from Mark, pardon me, from Matthew chapter 6, and so you can find it, but it'll be a little while before I get there. So there are people who are theologically incorrect, they believe that if the church just keeps getting better and better, that someday the great king of the universe will be able to look down and say, oh my goodness, they finally did it. The earth is ready for me to come back and take up residence. It's so pure. It's so holy. It's so full of life and kindness and equality. The people who believe that theology, there's a Greek word for that. Are there children in here I'm not supposed to? My grandkids say, Papa, don't, don't say dumb. <laughs> so D-U-M-B. It's, it's an ignorant mentality. It's a thoughtless theology. It's a dangerous theology because as much as your prayers and my prayers can make a difference on important things, it will not, our prayers will never take an unregenerated world to a point it will, our prayers will never take Topeka, Kansas to a point where it fully reflects the perfect love and security of heaven. 
until Jesus comes and sets up His reign on earth, until He doesn't sit at the negotiating table, but sits as the the potentate of the world and says to all of the other would-be leaders, uh, my way, period, my way. It's not your way. You tried it your way. Look at the mess you made. I'm here. I'll fix it. Sit down. (laughs) The king is coming and wants to set up his reign on earth. But no matter how much you and I pray for that to happen, until he is ready to do it, it won't happen. But there are issues we can have an impact on, and that's where I want to focus uh, today. So until he sets up his visible reign on the planet... Things won't be perfect. However, things can look some better than they do now. Martin Luther King Jr., we, he proved that fact, that things can look better. It's not what it needs to be. We just celebrated this past Monday, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, but it's better than it was. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, Mark Buntain, an Assemblies of God missionary that worked side by side with her in his own ministry, but they were friends. They proved that Calcutta could have help, that it could look some better because of kingdom people who prayed kingdom prayers. And wouldn't the world, wouldn't the world look better? And won't it look better when somebody finally discovers a cure for dementia, for Alzheimer's? Won't the world look better when someone says cancer, And people raise their eyes about as much as they do when someone says, I have a cold. Polio used to be that feared word. And nobody hears of polio anymore. Why? Because somebody made the world a better place and found the the right vaccine. They found a, a cure. Won't the world be a better place when autism is no longer a plague on our grandchildren and children? And I speak of that because I have one grandson who... Uh, is in the grip of autism. When someone figures out how to predict major earthquakes, like the weather service can predict hurricanes, won't that make the world a better place? Now, I've only felt two earthquakes in my life, both in Wichita, Kansas. I don't want to feel that again. The world, you know, things didn't fall down around me, but I don't like it. I don't like that nauseating feeling that kind of goes, ooh, I don't like earthquakes. So until the day that Jesus comes, until then, we get to navigate our lives on an ocean of chaos, and we get to pray prayers that can impact, not eradicate, not cure all, but impact the chaos. Now, in the pre-Adamic world, before God formed Adam and Eve and placed them on the uh, planet called Earth, before He placed them in a garden... uh, before that, that pre-Adamic world, the Spirit of God was, was hovering. If you've been reading in Genesis this year, you read past this several weeks ago already. But the Spirit, it says, was hovering over the, the deep, and it was a mess. And there was a chaotic context over which the Spirit was hovering. And in essence, the triune God said one to the other, you know, this isn't like us. This isn't like where we live away from here. It's, it's not like heaven here. 
So I'll take appropriate action. And God brought beauty out of chaos and established the earth and the respiration cycle. And he created the plants and the animals and and his crowning creation of Adam. And then crowning the crowning creation made Eve out of a bone from his side. It It was a much greater improvement than that chaos. Once he took that action, once God hovered over and took action over the chaos and created man, he entrusted managerial action to the humans so that they could affect the earth in a positive way. But if you've read far enough, you know that um, uh, it didn't take long for Adam and Eve to have a, a negative impact on the earth. It didn't take long for me to be here before I had a negative impact on the world around me. The Bible teaches that by nature, I am a child of wrath. When I have the chance to choose, when I had as a, as a child, when I had the chance to choose, I chose negatively. I chose to rebel against God. That's what human beings do because we're fallen and we need a Savior. Even your cherubic grandchildren desperately need a Savior. And if you don't think so, open your eyes, Papa. Come on. They all, we all need Jesus. So with the free will of humans involved, the likeness of heaven on earth in the garden did not last very long. Within just a few generations, God launched another plan involving the actions of human beings, and He chose a family, a guy named Abram, or later named Abraham. And He chose Abraham because Abraham had listened to God, the Creator's voice, And he understood that God wanted him to mingle his hearing with faith and obey him. And when Abram obeyed God and mingled his hearing with faith, eventually from the line of Abram, Abraham, came Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. So God has this plan in the midst of chaos. Hear this. The king's interests always have involved eventually bringing His dwelling place, we call it heaven, His plans have always involved bringing His dwelling place from up there to down here. Listen to Revelation 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Now, I don't know about you, but, but Pastor, I love breaking that verse out at some place besides standing at the head of a casket. Too often we relegate passages like that to the, to the burial site of a loved one from the, in the church and we, and we remind ourselves at that very poignant moment that, that there'll be a day that these tears will no longer fall. But I'm reminding you here this morning that in the midst of the chaos and in the midst of our tears, a day is coming that will have a freedom from tears and chaos. But until that time, what do we do 
about our chaotic right now. What do we do about our chaotic right now, now that Mr. Trump really is our president? Now, for many of you, that brings a great sense of joy. But for many people who live in Topeka, that brings a, a, a foreboding sense of consternation. Now, if I'm only going to be a political Christian, then I will say only in a private conversation, because publicly, who knows what I'm, who I'm talking to. But in a private conversation, if I'm only political, I'm going to say, get over it, the election's done, he won, you know, blah, 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 and be, you know, one of the Fox News pundits. But privately, if we understand that human beings find chaos in a lot of different ways, and this idea of Mr. Trump being the president is bringing chaos to their world, do you know what the solution is to chaos? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Mr. Trump is not the solution to chaos. I pray for our new president, but he's not the solution. And Jesus did not call any of us room to be political Christians. He called us to be Christians. I am a Christian who happens to be an American. I'm not an American who happens to be a follower of Jesus. I am a member of a democracy, but I am a born part of a kingdom that is controlled by someone named Jesus. And so as I look at the, at the world and I say there's chaos here, I'm just suggesting to you and to me, those of us who might not be really disappointed that Mr. Trump actually won, those of us that may be in that category need to understand that other people have fears and chaos and the way to help them see the answer to their chaos as Jesus is not to rub in their face something that's temporary at best. The answer is Jesus, not republicanism. The answer is Jesus, not the Democratic Party. The answer is Jesus, not democracy in general. The answer is Jesus. Don't you know that democracy will die? When Jesus comes and he sets up his kingdom on earth, there will not be a democracy. There will be an emperor. There will be a king that's the king of kings. And his word will be law. And his life will be light. And all who look to him in faith will know what hope is. And those who push back against him will know what it means to have trouble. But until then, the chaos that we feel, what do we do about it now? Interest rates have started to creep toward the north. What do you do with that chaos? The stock market might break 20,000 in the next two or three weeks or sooner, or it might crash and make the Great Depression look like a Sunday school picnic. Chaos, climate change, global warming. It's officially going to be ignored in this new administration. And for many of us, it's like, thank God somebody's finally quit, quit sucking their green thumb. But for others, it's like, dear God, 
wait a minute, we love this planet and we're really honestly like concerned that our planet will be raped and pillaged and, and it's like the only one we have and their frame of context is thrown into chaos because of the decisions of the political leaders. I'm not saying they're right and we're wrong or vice versa. I'm saying if we're in a chaotic world, what does the church do in the midst of the chaos? We have a lot of options. And the church in America started exercising an option back in the 80s that said we will run with political favor. The moral majority. So many of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But uh, the moral majority came to ascendancy and we we wanted to get our candidate in and if we got our candidate in surely it would turn America back to God it did it didn't America's a mess America's a mess and anytime the church anytime the church trusts political prowess the church will cease being an instrument of light and will become an instrument of death and control What do we call historically the era when the church in Rome, the only church of the era then, what do we call historically that those ages when the church ruled by edict through the pontiff, what do we call that age in history, the dark ages? The church was in control. How could it be dark ages when the church is a city set on a hill, when the church is trusting power from earthly sources, she will always be a source of darkness like a black hole. But when she says, we may not have silver and gold to fix everything around us, but what we have, we have the power to pray faith-filled prayers. We have the ability to move into the presence of the king of the universe and have conversation with him about stuff that matters to his heart. And when we talk to him about what matters to his heart, I'm telling you, this king will begin to shift some things and lives can be transformed. We are not here to transform the politics of Kansas. We are here to see lives transformed, brought out of darkness and out of chaos into the light of Jesus Christ. So the best starting place for us in this chaotic era, the best starting place orbits around developing a healthy prayer life. And such a healthy prayer life encompasses more than praying that we have a good day and a fun time at Legoland. Now that is a direct quote from my 10-year-old grandson back in the summer. Karen puts on what we call grandparent camp. And we had uh, all seven of the grandkids. We need our head examined. All of them, 15 down to three. Uh, Lukey, you want to pray? Okay, Papa, I'll pray. Thank you for this good day. Help us have a good day. And help us have fun at Legoland. Amen. And we said amen, and it was cute, and it was sincere, and we went to Legoland, and I guess Jesus answered our prayer. We had a great day. But when the tone of the church's prayer life centers around us having a good day. Now, now please, I, you need to hear me. 
when it centers around us getting a better job. I'm for better jobs, and I suggest if you need a better job, that would be fine. Pray for a better job. But when it centers around my ingrown toenail or even my debilitating back problem, when my prayers focus more on that which is only temporary, it indicates that my prayer life is a little bit off kilter. Prayer is not about making life better for the prayer. It's about aligning the prayer's life with the will of he who can grant the petition. And when we align with his character and talk to him about that which stirs his heart, I'm telling you, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will. He hears us. And if he hears us, we have the petition that we desired of him. That's what John said in his little epistle to the people of Ephesus. If we have any confidence, it's because we are talking to him about those things that have no life expectancy that is shortened, or rather that has no, uh, uh, what do you call it when your milk's going to go bad, uh, uh, shelf life. Uh, we need to pray prayers that, that have no shelf life. And in this chaotic world, we are missing churches that know how to pray prayers without a shelf life. Let me talk to you some facts about prayer. Pastor, I'm sorry, I forgot to ask. What time do I need to shut up? Really, do you normally quit about 45? I'm sorry. If you get done before I get done, just take a nap, would you? Some facts about prayer. The National Day of Prayer is the day where presidents annually proclaim the people of the United States may turn to God in prayer and meditation at churches and groups as individuals. The day has spawned a rival National Day of Reason on the same day, and it was started by a humanist group and other opponents of the National Day of Prayer. Instead of it being on that day in May, the, the National Day of Reason uh, should happen on April 1st. April Fool's Day. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Here are some facts about prayer, including survey data on Americans' prayer habits. The National Day of Prayer was enacted in 1952 by the Congress and President Harry S. Truman. As with the addition of under God was added to the Pledge of Allegiance in 1954, the moves came during the Cold War and were seen as a way of contrasting the more religious United States with the official atheistic Soviet Union. So we were saying to those heathenistic Soviets, we have God on our side. And they said, well, it doesn't matter. There is no God. National Day of Prayer. For many Americans, every day is a day of prayer. More than half, 55% of Americans say they pray every day, according to a 2014 Pew Research Center survey. While 21% say they pray weekly or monthly, 23% say they seldom or never pray. And then a Pew Research Center survey conducted in 14 found that 45% of Americans and a majority of Christians, 55%, say that they rely a lot on prayer and personal religious reflection when making major life decisions. The same survey found that 63% of Christians in the U.S. say praying regularly is an essential part of their Christian identity. 
All right. Now the shoe drops. Maybe these statistics reflect actual prayer practice, but I'm not convinced that these statistics reflect healthy prayer practices. Otherwise, I believe if it reflected healthy prayer practices, I believe the divorce rates would show a decline instead of an incline. I believe that meth heads would be getting free of their addiction and not losing their kids by the score to the foster system. I believe if our prayers were really healthy as Americans, as Christians, as churches, that pornographers would have less cash and sex traffickers would be destroying fewer young lives. And more people would marry instead of simply living together and having babies without the benefit of being married. Now you say, that's kind of harsh. Well, I'm just calling it like I see it. And I believe that if the people of God will pray healthy prayers, prayers that matter to the heart of God more than anything else, I think we can see those things different. So how do we measure healthy prayers? Would you stand with me and we'll finally read our text. Matthew 6, starting with verse 5, only through 10. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Twice he uses the word reward. It's appropriate to expect a reward from prayer. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Verse 9, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. That was verse 10. Your kingdom come. And I know uh, the next part says, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So next week, Lord willing, Pastor or one of the other staff preachers will be picking up with verses after this. You may be seated. Thank you for standing as we read that portion of the Word. Healthy prayers. Clearly, those who pray to be seen by others, those who pray to be heard by others, clearly they have no consciousness or concern for big picture issues. Having a flowery prayer, there's nothing wrong with it. Some people can just flat out pray. Aren't there people that you just love to hear pray? There, I, there are people I just love to hear pray. Uh, one, you may not know him, but uh, John Hollis, he's one of our pastors in Kansas. Uh, he's in his uh, early 80s and still pastoring. And, and if I die before he does, I want John to pray at my funeral. He doesn't have to preach, I just want him to pray. Man, he can pray. And he doesn't do it to impress you. It's just like this rich prayer life that just bubbles up out of him. So I'm not suggesting that there's something wrong with being an eloquent prayer. There's something wrong with trying to impress your hearers when we pray in public because we become no longer conscious of the concern for big picture issue. Healthy prayers focus only on God's ears. Healthy prayers, focus on God's ears. Verse 6, but when you pray. Healthy prayers happen with some level of regularity. But you need to decide. I get to decide when you pray. I think like 
twice a year when we're close to a car wreck and the prayer sounds like, Jesus, that's like maybe not regular. <laughs> I don't know exactly what regular is, but he anticipates some level of prayers that are maybe predictable at some, at some level. When you pray, so healthy prayers happen at some level of regularity, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Here it is. Healthy prayers happen best in an atmosphere of reduced distraction with an increased focus on the Father. So if we want healthy prayers, there are times that you need, I need, to decrease the distractions. There's nothing wrong with praying while you drive. Just don't close your eyes. There's nothing wrong with praying while you drive, but there is something beautiful to be said for closing the door before anybody else is hearing you or sitting in the garage with your car door closed and for just three or four minutes just focusing on the ears of your Father in heaven. There is something to be uh, said for that. It's healthy prayers. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Healthy prayers rest on a confidence that God will notice our humble prayer actions. He who is unseen will see you. He who may be not always heard with our audible, our, our auditory nerve, He will hear you and me. It's imperative that when we come to Him that we know that we really aren't just talking out loud to the air. There is a King and he's attuned his ears to your cry. Verse 7, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Here's the lesson. Healthy prayers rely on respecting God's character. We cannot overwhelm Him with quantity or volume. Now, I'm wired for loud. I'm just wired for loud. If I'm at a basketball game, you don't want to sit next to me. My wife says when I'm sleeping and snoring, I'm wired for loud. It's, 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 it's a horrible thing. I'm wired for loud. But I don't pray loud at times because I think if I get just a little louder, this living God will finally pay attention. I don't barrage Him with all kinds of vocabulary because I think I can overwhelm. Listen, if you can overwhelm the God that saved you, then He is a worthless God. He cannot be overwhelmed. He rides on the wind. He stands on the thunderclouds. He has lightning in his fist. He can shake the earth. You're not going to, I'm not going to overwhelm him when I begin to take hold of the proverbial horns of the altar and say, God, now I've got some grandkids that are unsaved and I'm not turning you loose until I get an assurance that you're sending somebody into their world. They may not live in Kansas, but wherever they live, if you will believe God, and talk to him about what matters to him. He will do great things, not because he's overwhelmed, but because he is so able. He's able. So, healthy prayers rely on respecting God. You're not going to overwhelm him. Get over, get over yourself. You're not going to overwhelm him. Verse 8, do not be like them, the pagans, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So this is then how you should pray. 
our Father in heaven. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Look, the Baptists may get the white meat today at the buffet. They may get there five minutes before you do, but I promise, I promise the, the restaurant will make more food. They, they will cook more. Okay. Of course, Pastor Steve may not ever let me come back because I'm abusing your time, but oh uh, well. Our Father in heaven, healthy prayers always recognize our interconnectedness with one another. Our. Yes, He is my Father, but He's not my Father alone. He's our Father. And when we pray, and we recognize that my prayers are not coming up alone, I will pray, I want to pray as if it depends on me, but I want to pray knowing that I'm not the only one praying. I want to pray as if it does depend on my faithfulness. But I know when I pray that way, even beyond that, it isn't going to just be me. It's going to be you as well because He's our Father in heaven. He is in a lofty position. He's in a place that He sees what I cannot see. He gets what I cannot get. And when we say our Father in heaven, we are, listen, that's a healthy prayer. And we can be assured that our Father in heaven wants to take His finger and stir up stuff on the earth. He wants to take the chaos and bring righteousness up out of it. He wants to bring the confusion to the side and bring clarity to the front. He wants to do that and He will when you and I pray healthy prayers that recognize our interconnectedness with each other. Hallowed be Thy name. Healthy prayers use His name with thoughtful respect. I, I was raised by, by parents that were they were pretty strict. And uh, uh, I mean, we, if, if, if you heard me say, gosh, well, if you did, you maybe not didn't care. If mom or dad heard me say, God, you might as well thought that I was cussing like a drunk sailor on a Saturday night. Oh, listen. Now, I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm just saying there was something in mom and dad's heart that said the name of this God who sent his son to die for us we're not going to take him lightly. So I'm not suggesting if you say gosh or golly or whatever, I'm not suggesting that, that you're taking God lightly. I'm saying that when we talk to him, that we be cognizant that his name is different than other people's names. His name is not Obama or Trump. His name is not U.S. Constitution. His name is not about anything of this earth that will pass away. His name is a name that endures. His name is a name of power and of authority and of compassion. His name is a name of capacity. Nobody can do what this God can do. He's our Father. And our elder brother is His Son, Jesus. And, and when I call the name Jesus, I'm not talking about just when I'm about to have a wreck. Jesus! But that time too. But when I call on His name, that I'm actually talking to someone 
that is powerful and compassionate and good. And so when I hallow his name in private conversation, in public discourse, when I hallow his name in healthy prayers, that I'm simply saying I recognize his name is not a flippant name. His name is a priceless jewel worth more than all of the retirement accounts of this world put together in one basket. His name. All right, almost done. I don't know if this is helping you, but I'm feeling a lot better. This is cheaper than therapy, and I'm just, I'm just happy. Hallowed be your name, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Here it is. Healthy prayers. Understand we are not in a democracy, but in a kingdom. Your kingdom come. Healthy prayers want the big picture more than anything else. If you and I, if as a church, you will pray prayers that God will use you to make disciples of people in Topeka. That He will use you to make disciples. Now, you know the problem with disciple making? Here it is, here it is. We've got to start with unsaved people. Yuck. Come on. I mean, we're unsaved. Now, I'm having a little fun. That's what the attitude of many churches is. What do they think? They smelled good when God found them in the pit? We reeked of spiritual body odor. It was called pride. Arrogance was our cologne. Selfishness was our method of operation. Self-capacity and blindness was our life. And God looked down and saw us and said, I know how you smell and I know what you're doing and you're not going to fix yourself. I'm here. Look to me. Thank God somebody prayed us in. Somebody showed us the light of Jesus Christ when we were sinners, when we had a needle stuck in our arm, when we were sucking the suds out of the bottles and loved the bottle more than we loved our kids, when we were beating our spouses and stealing from our neighbors. Jesus died for us then, not once we became good, upstanding, deaconized people in the church. And if we want to pray healthy prayers, it will start where we start crying out, Oh God, let our church, let this, this campus, Oh God, let this campus begin to, to reek with people who are in desperate need of Jesus. Because I promise you this, the holiness of God that is in His blood-bought people will be the absolute beautiful antidote for anyone that comes, whatever their problem, whatever their issue, doesn't matter, even if they are like Republicans. Jesus can save them. Can't we kind of laugh at ourselves? Now, if any of you are offended at that, okay, even if we're Democrats, he can save us. Healthy prayers. Focus on crying out, Oh God, make us a soul-winning church. Not, Oh God, help our pastor to be a greater evangelist from the pulpit. 
Pastor Steve, you don't need to preach salvation or make an altar call until the people of God start bringing their unsaved friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. If you don't bring your unsaved friends, family, your friends, associates, relatives, and neighbors, if you don't bring them, just preach pablum. Just pat them on the back. Tell them Jesus is coming. Hang in there. Give good offerings. Pay the salaries. Really? No. The people of God sitting in this room this morning are saying we want to pray healthy prayers and pray that God would make us a soul-winning church and that He will make us a Spirit-baptized church. A Spirit-baptized church not only speaks in tongues at worship service, but it prays in the Spirit and moves in the Spirit and works in the Spirit so that we understand that the power of God comes on us in the baptism the power of God comes so that we can do the work of God so that God gets His own glory. It's about being filled with power so that people can come to Jesus, so they can be filled with the power of the Spirit, so that they can help other people come to Jesus, so that they can come to the power of the Spirit, so they can help others. Are you getting the idea? That will be healthy prayers. And along the way, He'll heal some backs. And along the way, he'll heal some autism. And along the way, he'll clean up some cancers. But oh, if you can become a church that prays these healthy prayers, if he never heals an autistic child, but he sets drug addicts, moms and dads free, and gives their seven and eight-year-old little boy and girl a chance to grow up knowing Jesus, there'll be a day when heaven comes to earth and we will hear nail-scarred hands clapping, looking at you, looking at me, saying, good job. We converse regularly about what mattered to me and I did what I did because you trusted me to do it. Let's stand together. You really have been kind and patient. Thank you, Pastor Steve, for giving me the privilege of preaching this message this morning. Father, all over this room, I know that we are a people that want to make a kingdom difference. Lord, we are, we are done with being depressed of how things aren't what they used to be. Lord, we need them to be what they should be today in Your kingdom economy. Oh God, for the youngest among us that have never seen revival to the oldest among us who have seen it but have forgotten the, the sharp edge of Your holiness. And for everybody in between, from this superintendent to this precious pastor and his wife, to every staff member, to every deacon and spouse, every family member, every teacher, every young convert and every aged saint, oh God, make us the people who pray healthy prayers. Prayers that You will answer. So Jesus, if You don't come back before the end of 2017, I cry out, Lord, that this place, this campus building, Sunday mornings will be filled to overflowing. Lord, because of 
friends and relatives, associates and neighbors that are currently unclaimed for the kingdom, but they get claimed, they get invited, they get prayed for and served, and they are brought to this place and hear the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, the the forgiveness, the second chance that comes in Jesus, the no judgment zone of the love of Jesus. Oh God, make Topeka first in all of her expressions to be the church anybody can come to. Make it the church that anybody can belong and as they belong that they can experience what it is to to be forgiven and discipled, filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and made a powerful emissary back back into their world of unsaved friends and relatives and associates and neighbors. God, the statistics say that this campus should only keep declining, but your word says differently. Your word says that this church, this people who are called by your name, if they will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek your face, you will hear us up in heaven and you will forgive our sins and you will heal our land. Oh God, start it in us. We're not asking you to start it in Mr. Brownback. We're not asking you to start it in Mr. Trump. We're asking you to start it in us, in our home address. Start it in us so that we can pray healthy prayers. Lives can be transformed because we were in the right place at the right time proclaiming the true King of kings, praying kingdom prayers in Jesus' name.